Well, not on my One, side. Two, three. Well, actually, I was four and you were five and a half. One, two, three, four. That's uh, <coughs> on mine, they both were on three. I know. It's because your Wi Fi sucks. My Wi Fi is the most beautiful thing that ever. Sucks, dick. Now I'm offended. So I watched the zero session for GCP uh, campaign two. How was it? It was good. Is it fun? Look fun? Yeah, it's fun. I mean, I like the new, the, what's her name? Katie and I don't remember the other girl's name. Mm. I think they're good additions. I haven't seen any of their, I know they joined during Strange Aeon, so Mm. I haven't really, I haven't watched that far. Uh, So that's good. It's very interesting seeing PF1 players come into PF2 and some of the assumptions they make. Like, they keep talking about, tanks like oh we need like a tank it's like that's not really a thing in pf2 that's not how it works if you uh read a lot of the the experienced players it's more about like drawing drawing hits away or or canceling out like the three action economy for monsters and different things like that Mm. so it's interesting i uh i love skid's character oh nice what he's building which is a goblin psychic yeah which i'm like that's fucking amazing um I don't know why they're they're sponsored by Demi Plane and Foundry. Foundry. Mm-hmm. I feel like they're gonna run into run into some real headaches by tracking everything on Demi Plane and then rolling in Foundry because the whole point of using PF2 and Foundry is all the automation it does for you. Yeah. So I'm very interested to see how that goes. Maybe it'll work good, but uh, in campaign one with Giant Slayer. I can't tell you how many times problems have been caused by them using um, Hero Lab. Hero Lab, yeah. It, there's there's a lot of. I mean, there's always confusion, but the whole point of a VTT is to have some of the automation goodness. Yeah. So it'll be fun. I like their little background thing they're doing, where like each player is making up a town that they're from. Oh yeah. To go with their background and like where they're what part of the world uh what part of galarion they're from and stuff i like that that's cool so Lindsay and i watched it nice fun time fun time i was gonna watch it and i then you didn't didn't and i fell asleep with your dick in your hand i didn't do that but i did (laughs) fall asleep at my (laughs) desk not at my desk but I was playing, as I oft do once we finish Diablo. a session. <clears throat> Diablo 4. Yeah, like I unwind by listening to Glass Cannon lately. And I play Diablo while I listen. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, I was playing and listening. And I think I just got caught up in the the podcast and kind of leaned back. I was enjoying the... Just the yeah. the listening to it. And then the next thing I... My character's dead, oh shit! I woke up at like... I don't know, six, just sitting in my chair. Diablo was already powered off. My PlayStation had gone into rest mode. So just a blue blinding light from my TV. (laughs) Just And I was like, oh. Wake up. You've been asleep so long, like, the creatures in Diablo 4 have evolved. Like, they're evolving. (laughs) Ah, They've gained sentience. They're escaping. Oh, my God. And then I... Rolled out of my chair and flopped onto my bed. Rolled into bed. Yeah, it was nice. Uh, nice. What episode are you on of GCP? 
My phone's dead right now. I can't tell you. You're not charging it? No, I jumped right in here. No. I'm oh. still in my pee pants. You have pee pants? Yeah. I peed everywhere all the time. Are they like your designated pants where you're like, I have to pee. Hold on. Yep. I need to change my pants. Exactly. May I go to the bathroom, please? Thank you. Beautiful. Beautiful. So, coffee and contemplation. Are you drinking yeah. coffee today? What you got? What you got? It's always the same. It's just drip coffee. I had to teach today, so I um, got up with not... I mean, it takes me about 45 minutes to make pour over. I think I've talked about this before, so I'm not going to bore the listener. I didn't have time, so I just went to Extracto around the corner again. So probably after this, I will make myself uh, an actual legit cup of coffee. Nice. Not that Extracto is bad. It is good. Did you pick Especially a... Especially, like, if you're going to Starbucks, like, it's way better than that. But I never get fancy stuff. Did you get it's, a certain always... region this time? Uh, They didn't have Mexico, which is the best, so I got Guatemala. Okay. So it is pretty cool to see, like, they get it... They get their beans from, like, it's single origin is what they call it. Mm. So it's, like, from this farm in this region, like, specifically. Right. And then they, they do them there. So as far as ethics goes, it, they are doing it the way you're supposed to do it. Their beans just aren't my favorite. Mm. They're always kind of skunky. But, yeah, drinking coffee. Are you drinking whiskey? I do. <laughs> I did not get to bourbon and and bourbon and blasphemy bourbon. So I didn't get to get a coffee because my I ran into a situation and I was late to come to recording. So I didn't get a coffee. I was like, bro, where where are you? Yeah. Nothing. Why have you said nothing to me? That's not like him. You got the moon thing on discord. So you've been on there recently. Yeah, was it was my phone died. Couldn't tell Eric. I didn't get to get a coffee, so yes, I am drinking a a whiskey. However, let us designate that I am drinking a scotch. Gross. Uh, It's a black label Johnny Walker. Gross. Yeah, fine. You know, what do you... It's like tequila to me. I can see that. Yeah, it's got a very tequila afterbite. Sure, I can... I I don't like tequila at all. Mm. I do like really nice, like... Go figure, mezcal, just like really nice vodka, tastes like nothing. It's insane. That's true. Like boutique vodka is amazing. It is. But I'm I'm I love just like a good middle of the road bourbon. I like bourbon a good solid bourbon best. for sure. Me too. Speaking of which, mm. those fucking Matthew Lillard's new company where yeah. he's doing the D and D themed whiskeys yeah. or blended bourbons, amazing. I want like, one. That is, I want one so bad. They're gonna be expensive. I just need three hundred dollars. Is it three hundred? No, they're like one fifty. Oh, can you actually get see, them? It's, it's like, it, well, can you what? Can you get them? Because I can't get them because they ship them and I can't ship them here. Yeah, I could. I mean, there's yeah, there's no laws like that here. So if like we have we have the <coughs> inverse problem where they're trying to like. They're trying to criminalize doing drugs in public because there's too many people doing drugs in public here now. Well, that's what happens. <laughs> <laughs> we have the opposite problem. Um, yeah, I could, I could absolutely do that. If you want me to do that, I'm happy to do that for you. Sweet. Uh, yeah, that, I that's may, not a problem. I may do that. Maybe it might be much more expensive because I have to ship it to, to me and then, then ship to me, steps, which yeah. we'll talk about when we're not being recorded. Right. Don't listen to me. 
Don't um, you tell yeah, me. Yeah, but I, I, the, if I had $150. Yeah, if I had $150. Yeah. yeah. But the bottles, and it's also, what's his name, doing the fucking illustrations for it? I don't know. Who? Uh, he does, he's like one of my favorite D&D artists. He does a lot of the covers. Ed We've Greenwood. talked about him before. What? Ed Greenwood. No, he's not an artist. Ed he's Greenwood an author. created Forgotten Realms. What are, you, <laughs> what are you saying right now? What is the, what is Jeff Easley? No, Jeff Easley is great, but he's old school. This guy is like fifth edition. Oh. I don't remember his name right now. Um, but he's doing the art for each one because each one is named after a class, right? So yeah. I think the first one is Paladin. And each one is a different flavor of blended whiskey to reflect, like, the personality of the character. Ooh. And then his partner is writing an adventure for each release. That's so fun. They're It's so fucking cool, man. It's Beetle and Grimm, right? That they, that's their it's company? It's the same. It's the Matthew Lillard co-founded Beetle and Grimm. Mm. It's his, it's his, what do they call it? Uh, it's a really clever company name. Find Familiar Spirits. Oh, that's good. Yeah, yeah. Very clever. Like, as far as, like, high-end, boutique, cool stuff. I mean, Beetle and Grimm makes amazing stuff. It's just fucking expensive. Yeah. I really want to get... They did a Beetle and Grimm's for Absalom. So, like, the book, the source book. Mm -hmm. But it's like, you know... What? It's like a kadunk. So I'm sure you get a full map, and they always throw in all this extra stuff. I'm sure it's, like, $200. And they're probably all sold out now. Like, yeah, it, it makes me insane. Like the limited stuff, I'm like, I want it, I want it. He says yeah. a bitch, give me the fucking thing. Yeah. So, if you have lots of money, check it out. Looks real cool. Yeah. And I mean, I don't play, I don't play D and D, but that's still really awesome. Yeah. And I may, I'm gonna try once it's out. Out. I do, I do want to try uh, Tales of the Valiant. I'm not super keen on it, but. Could be Cobalt fun. does make good. I mean, they make good shit. Yeah. And uh, it'll be fun. Demi Plane is is gonna have a section four f like generic five E stuff too. Oh, that'll be fun. That'll so be cool. they'll have they'll have like I'm sure they'll have Tales of the Valiant support on there and stuff. So mm. they're selling the playtest book right now. Oh really? For Tales of the Valiant, yeah. Which is pretty moving cool. that shit, moving that shit. Yeah. Uh. Write bourbon and blasphemy. What? Why? So don't. Why do you do that to me? Why you call me? Why you make me a biscuit? What's it called? Alliterative. Like we have to have alliterations. <laughs> both words have to start with the same letter. Well, if we're doing that, it's scotch and sorrow, maybe, or scotch and and trouser snakes. I think you mean cocks, maybe? <laughs> Scotch and cocks? That's not a letter, Dad. Okay, you're starting us off. You want me to start it us off? Yeah, you keep making me start. Well, yeah, because there was such a long time frame where I did, so... Yeah, too bad. I... Wanted to... Too bad he's out of a bitch fucking pocket. Um, okay, I could start. Yeah, that's fine. Yeah, you can. My name is Ian. I'm 27 sure years old. I'm not 27. You're 27? I'm not 27. Okay. <laughs> I'd like to bury my testimony. You once, you once were when. You once when were. 
Uh, so yeah, we played last night, Friday. Mm-hmm. It's Saturday. And we did something a little new for the table. We had Eric here narrate a little part of his character's story, mm-hmm. which uh, landed with a big bang, I think, for the players. People seem to like it. Yeah, sure. People really did seem to like it. Uh, yeah. As far as GMing this situation, uh, it felt good to me. It felt like things moved once we started doing stuff. Uh, it felt good on my end to be able to do some little bit of lore, a little bit of fun with the kind of the story that's being told. Mm-hmm. Um. I really want to hear your perspective on it uh, before I delve on just the night before I say too much. Uh, I mean, it was kind, it's kind of my character's time to shine. So I definitely enjoyed the lore because it had to do with my character. That, so that wasn't a that that's that's an easy one right there. Um, the intro I did, I actually wrote up an intro. And I did like a bunch of drafts on it and stuff and really tried to highlight my character and also the kind of villain that we fought is from my character's backstory. So showing how they met and I wanted it to feel like I wanted it to feel tragic, even though nothing bad happens Mm. in the little, you know, this little prequel story. Right. I wanted it to feel brutal because basically this this young child is being taken in by what you find out is like the head of the Assassin's Guild. The biggest Assassin's Guild in the world. Yeah, and and have it have it be impactful that way where <laughs> they kind of hit it off and she shows spark kind of, you know, like but the the reason she's even there is because she's on the street. Yeah. You know, it's, it's it's so I wanted it to kind of without really coming out and preaching, I wanted to, to have kind of a, a sad irony to it. Mm. Um, and also, I just I keep every I forgot. I went back into the back stuff we wrote when we were doing D&D. Yeah. And I was like, oh, yeah, I named the city that she was from, which is Catamaran, mm. which has a very kind of Mediterranean feel just in my mind. Yeah. So like. It gets really hot in the summer, and I forgot that her <clears throat> her little village was called the Crystal Shallows. Yeah, where she was from, and so I went back through everything. I was like, "Oh yeah, I created all this stuff." That's right. Um, so that was fun. Nice. So I thought it was fun. Uh, I did. There were I cannot believe how many GM intrusions there were. It was insane. Yeah, it's like it's like every two <laughs> turns. Ah, I'm an intrude now. Yep. It's like wow. Wow, wow, wow. Yeah, I needed to because in Cypher, like, it's not like, oh, I got to roll to see if the bad guys see this thing or like for like uh, a villain that has like uh, legendary actions, Mm -hmm. you know, I can't just do those in Cypher. It has to be something that's initiated by the GM and interrupting your guys's turns yeah. Is not a mechanic. So to me, that means that if you want to do that, you have to GM intrude. Like if you're disrupting yeah, yeah. flow and doing something that's going to be brutal, you might as well just intrude. And plus, I really totally. I want the players to hit a certain point soon because uh, where tier five is where a lot of 
it's like the entrance to that like higher echelon that uh high tier play mm -hmm. and tier Mm -hmm. five is where that really enacts Mm -hmm. um and i'm kind of wanting the players to hit that but the only way to do that is to fucking hit them hard all the time yeah for sure so i had to do that i i i think it really clicked for me that numenera kind of lives and breathes on gm fiat Mm -hmm. and your experience of the game is going to be very colored by what kind of GM you have. Much more so than, say, even D&D, which I think D&D also relies on a lot of... It's uh, a GM fiat where it's a really crunchy system, deceptively so, Mm. but there's so much stuff they leave to interpretation. Yeah. So, like, it's built in, it's baked into Cypher system that a lot of it is determined by what the GM is going to do and where they're going to intrude yep. and what they're going to kind of throw at you. Where, like, Blades in the Dark has some of that, but it's more to do with, like, the players asking for something intrusive. Mm-hmm. Like, hey, okay, give me a devil's bargain. What do you got for me? That's true. Like, yeah, for sure. You know, Although GMs, I've been using this a little more, you can roll fortune rolls where you're like, let's see what happens with this. Yeah. So I've been using that a little more in our Blades our blades games but nice yeah so it was fun i mean it was it was all battle but it was it was cool like i'm glad that we're finally at the black pyramid right for sure and uh so it was a lot of battling and some backstory and all that stuff i have to mention again i know we talked a little bit about it last night but when i created this kind of scenario my brain was like man a ninja battle at the, at the foot of a pyramid. At the fucking, like, at a cliff's edge with a black pyramid kind of floating in the darkness mm-hmm. is cool imagery. Uh, especially when the ninjas are not just, like, normal-looking ninjas. They have, like, a weird tech kind of sci- almost cyberpunk, but not quite their vibe as well. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was very, like, from the moment you guys entered the jungle, I have been so excited for this moment in the game. Mm -hmm. And when it finally happened and to have the setup for Yoda, like, because I I don't know, I felt it was such a great moment to hear the moment where you met this person. To mm-hmm. lead right into the opening situation of confronting this person now. Right. Uh, I really enjoyed that. I loved the little story you did. Um, I had been excited to drop some of these reveals on all sorts of things. And I think there's going to be more. A lot of stuff's going to happen in the next few sessions that's big. Mm-hmm. Um, I get that feeling. Yeah. yeah. And it's been something that like... <clears throat> Obviously, I've been like poking the bear a little bit with the players coming to this jungle and then making them do all sorts of stuff to kind of pull them away from what they've been trying to get to. Mm-hmm. And so like it's just been this build up, this build up. It's like, sweet. Now we're going to go to the No, you got to go to the Kestrel home. What? OK, we went. We went. OK, now can we go? Happens. Nothing. What? I want to go. Let me go. And then. So we did, and I was very excited. Mm-hmm. I 
yeah, I had a great time running it. Uh, you all did crazy stuff like you do. Uh, I made all of the players go through their abilities and make sure that they were up to date before we started. Because once we started actually playing, I was basically saying, "Hey, you, I don't care if you forgot to add something. You don't get to now. You should have done Even it." Even though already. we did start playing, and then John still hadn't. He did. Stuff he got the there by the like, close to where we needed him to, but yeah. Uh, I will. I do want to talk about. Uh, I knew it was going to happen, too. And the minute he was like, no, I'm not going to fight my friends. I was like, well, then you lose your powers. Yep. And I knew it did happen. I knew he was going to be not thrilled about the scenario because his character feels a certain way about what they believe. And I was like, I, I already know this is going to not be great for you, John. I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. But. That whole scenario has been baked into the game since the very beginning, like D&D, like mm-hmm. this whole thing was already built in. And now that it's coming to fruition, you know, nine months later, uh, it's very exciting to me, but it's very, I'm sure, hard for Horgrim. Yeah. John was pretty bumped afterwards. Yeah. <laughs> I only laugh because I'm uncomfortable with it. <laughs> <So I'm> just, <laughs> it was. <laughs> I have a bad emotional reaction a lot of the time to like that, like just kind of like people's unhappiness in those moments. And it causes me to like laugh. And I don't mean mm-hmm. to because I don't mm-hmm. think it's funny. But it hits this weird spot in me that the, ups, I don't know. The, have to diffuse the energy somehow. Yes. <laughs> the discomfort. Oh, man. But... <clears throat> I'll say this too, only just because it's fun to talk about. That's what's happening for Horgrim right now is seriously the tip of the iceberg based on his deci- the, the decisions that have been made and already been concreted into the game that are sure there, but maybe nobody knows that's what's happening right now. But it is like, no, you're you're the only one that knows, right? Yeah. So I like just watching. I'm like, man. John's about to have a real rough time in the next fucking eight sessions. I don't. Yeah, it'll be it'll be interesting to see how it goes, for sure. Yeah, but I'm glad you liked it. I'm glad you called out Ninja Battle in that moment because that really did tickle my excitedness when you were like. Well, it's, I mean, at least for me, it was a little hard not to like notice. Like, we're like battling ninjas at. <laughs> At the base, we're not really at the base of the Black Pyramid, but, but it's conceptual. Yeah, the image I had in mind is we're at this, we're at this cliff edge, fighting, and then we can see the vista, and then like half a mile off, in this, bl- I don't know why, but blue jungle, there's a big Black Pyramid nice. in there, with no sky, obviously, because right. we're like underground, mm-hmm. kind of, underground jungle. Right, I like that. So there's no sky. I like um, that. That's a so great yeah. vision. And it's, yeah, I've been stoked about it for a little while. So that's why mm-hmm. I keep kind of gushing about it because I've been. You finally got to reveal it? Yeah, I've been primed about like ninja fucking battle at the pyramid. <laughs> it honestly reminded, the ninjas reminded me more of like ninja scroll ninjas where each one is more, you know, like they ha- they've attained the title of demon or something. Right. They've, they've developed weird powers in a unique way. 
they're like the upper echelon of the the cult, right? The thing. Yeah, yeah, uh, exactly. They're like the the top of the people that vie for leadership, but the leader is this owl person that has been deceiving you your whole life. Yeah. So I really like that reveal. Yeah. So it was cool. Sweet. It was flavorful. What about uh, no no uh, Pathfinder Monday game this week because it's every other week. Honestly, haven't been doing a ton of prep because it's going to be a big fat downtime session. Right. I think I think we may have talked about this last recording, but they're going to get two. You guys are going to get two weeks of downtime. It's going to be sick. so. It's I've already read through the downtime stuff, but I won't really. It won't really click until we actually play through it. Mm-hmm. But like earn income crafting i have a feeling like my our friend paul he plays a he's playing a goblin summoner but because of how we're revealing the backstory we found out that he was like an apprentice for a a tattooist like a magical tattooist so he's probably going to want to do stuff with that i'm guessing ian's character who's a bard is going to want to do like performance oh yeah in some capacity and now they're heroes their names have been cleared because they they uh, defeatable lawn didn't kill him surprisingly I was very I was like they're probably going to murder him and I'm going to have to find I'm going to have to find a different way to info dump right. all this shit that they need to know <laughs> to progress um, so I think that'll be fun uh, I really want to it's it's kind of a problem with GMing in general and this might actually be a good topic to talk about at some point but um, GMs kind of forget about downtime mm. And especially with a game like Pathfinder, that is one of your pillars of play. Yeah. Like, there's a bunch of mechanics. The earn income stuff is super cool. It's very Blades in the Dark-like. I really... I'm excited to, to dig into that and see how it works. Crafting is kind of insane. I see why people complain about it, because you have to spend at least four days to craft something. You make a roll, but then if it's really expensive, the way you bring the price down, because you have to spend, like, half the price of the item you're making up front... You have to spend an additional day to bring it down, and it's like earning income. And it, it can take, like, three weeks. Like, it's really crazy. Um, I read, uh, read. I watched a really good video by uh, the YouTube channel, How It's Played, which breaks down a ton of Pathfinder rules and adventures and stuff. It's a good channel for Pathfinder. Um, and he's like, look, the crafting is not like crafting in Skyrim where this isn't a way to earn income. This is a way for heroic characters to build heroic items that they need to do heroic things. Mm. Like, it's it's supposed to be like, reforge the sword of Andor, like, cling, cling, you know, have the montage. That's really what it's for. But that being said, if the party is into it, I'm I'm down to kind of rework the rules. They already have for the remaster, so it's two days and it's... But if people really like crafting, then we can always get more into that because I think... Like, how cool would it be if you're, like, a fighter with a blacksmith background and you want to become, like, a master smith mm. and you, like, make your own runes to yeah. put into weapons and you're kind of... The runes are, like, your brand and you get known throughout the land for that. I think that's fucking cool. I think that's way cool. Into I'm, yeah. I'm into so that kind it, of thing. It depends on what the players do. But there's a ton of downtime stuff. There's research. And I didn't realize this, but Seven Arches the city guys are in it's a level four 
settlement. So that means you have access to a pretty good amount of stuff. Oh, nice. It's not just like a level one podunk. No, there's a little more culture and, and a little more going on here. Um, nice. And I also have uh, some story things. So there's going to be a bit of a debrief. And also um, I'm going to, I was going to do this anyways, but uh, to back up, our gaming group, whenever somebody has a birthday, we all pitch in and get them something. And mm -hmm. like, it's a lot of birthdays. It's kind of crazy. But we try to, at least when I'm involved, I try to keep it fairly cheap because some of our players are like, let's spend $200. It's like, no, <laughs> let's keep it low because we have to do this like 10 times a year. Yeah. Um, but the group got me the Harrow deck for... <laughs> Uh, Pathfinder 2nd Edition. It's uh, very surprisingly nice. Like, the quality of it's really cool. And the Harrow deck's kind of like the deck of many things mixed with the Tarot deck. And it's designed so you can actually do uh, oracle readings just in real life. Uh, players can do readings. There's a Harrow reader archetype. But uh, I'm gonna, I was going to incorporate that into next session anyways, but now, like, I have the physical card, so it'll make it a lot easier to do that. Because I have the Foundry module for it, too, right. which is actually really cool. They did, did good work on it. So I'm going to add some extra stuff for flavor and kind of backstory and that kind of thing. But it's mainly just going to be downtime. Unless play. you guys get some insane notion, like, we want to go and explore the hinterlands. Yeah. We want to go river rafting down the fucking, uh, what's the name of the river? There's no way. Something like that. I My main concern when you're like, oh, we get to do downtime, I'm like, all right, I want to go perform to earn money so I can buy some shit that yeah. will assist me in uh, just a little bit of better gear. Not obviously not crazy gear, but enough to like make me not feel nervous about entering the fray next because I reading adventure paths and knowing not knowing a bunch about it but knowing kind of like how the one I'm reading works I imagine it's similar mm -hmm. uh, so I know that chapter two is gonna amp up real fast yeah I mean it will the, it it Again, it depends. Every adventure path and every chapter in each adventure path is unique because you don't know what they're actually going to put in there for the players to do. You know there's going to be combat. Right. But there's some things that are unique about Chapter 2 that you're going to get into. And you guys are at the... You're actually a little over-leveled. Like, you're almost, you're almost to level 3. Everybody's about halfway. Yeah. So you're, as far as that goes, that's fine. The thing that I slacked on because I just am still learning the system is I didn't hand out any magic items for level one. Mm. So that's where I messed up. Um, so I might hand out some other magic items or have them easily available sure. to kind of have you guys catch up. But you guys are pretty good. I mean, as long as Zaz doesn't get into melee. Yeah, he can't that's melee. not really what he's built no, to do. he cannot. I yeah. mean, he has the ability to use a sword and can hit with you're it. Pretty, you're pretty squishy. Right. Well, so. yeah, I can hit with the sword, but when it comes to doing damage with the sword, that's not going to work. It's not great. Yeah. Yeah. And I didn't, you know, I built him specifically in that sense that he's not, he's not that guy. He just thinks he's awesome. 
And uh, but he's not like I'm an awesome fighter. He doesn't say that. Never. Well, bards and, and PF2E seem like a really cool mix of a support caster with an expert. Mm -hmm. Where like, you know, you like the likelihood of you being able to recall knowledge on anything is high. Yep. You're probably going to be able to pick locks or check for traps and also heal this person or debuff that monster. Like that's a really cool versatile class. Yeah, you know what I mean. I'm so, stoked about it. Honestly, yeah, and Bars I think cool. even if he dies, I may roll, depending on how much I enjoy it, I may roll a bard right after, like, yeah, just so if I can he, keep, yeah, doing yeah, it. yeah, for sure. But well, unlike you know, they say in Pathfinder, you can build the same class and have it be completely different, right? Right, because of the feats you pick and the background you pick and. The ancestry, all you know, your ABCs have a lot to do with that. But the one thing I did learn, um, because the boss battle was uh, for chapter one during our last session was pretty short lived, mm -hmm. like surprisingly short lived. Not that it wasn't challenging at all, but uh, I have to really plan for players not showing up and also the full party being there because the power difference between having four members and having six is ridiculous yeah I can so i have to be prepared i have to kind of plan on how okay how do i pad this because i mean the adventure is designed for four players so if there's six i need to add more monsters for it to be balanced and for you guys to gain the right amount of xp and all that stuff hmm. so that's one thing i learned when chapter one was like okay i really have to have more encounter contingencies for both ways because there may be times where, like, only three of you show up. And if if the players who showed up want to play, then we're playing. And so I'll have to, you know, so I have to be more on top of it. There are, there's all kinds of rules in place for that, but I still have to make sure I'm, I'm doing that. There's a really cool, uh, what's it called? Kobold something. But it's an encounter builder for PF2, and it will tell you the severity of the encounter just by adding, okay, here's my group, here's their level, here's how many are in the group, and here's the monsters I want to add. And very quickly it'll tell you, oh, that's a severe encounter. And be like, okay, well, let's take off a couple of these goblins. All right. Let's put in this uh, CR2 or this level 2 monster instead. So... Um, I'm excited to get into more of that stuff where I don't, where I know it better. Mm. That's just going to come through GMing. Nice. But uh, chapter two will be fun. I'm very excited for chapter three because no, no one's going to see it coming. Oh, that's exciting. Because I have no fucking idea, and it's a very weird and and uh, very cool. So I'm excited for that. It's going to be what like three more months probably. <laughs> yeah, probably. At the rate you guys go at. Um. God, like I, I'm sorry that I have to do this, but I need to ask no, you. No, you're not. No, you're not. I think you it was two questions, but I can only remember one. No. About Friday's session. About did you like the captain? I thought it was ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> I think it works really well with Jerry's situation, mm -hmm. where he can only be there for like two thirds at best. Right. If we start relatively on time. Mm -hmm. Um. But it's fine. I mean, it's cool that he can, like, do some stuff and then dissipate when he's done. Right. Like, okay, spend all your fucking might, and then you're gone. Right. Like, okay. And then he'll come back, and he'll... He won't be fully charged, but 
He'll have come. He'll come back. Though, if he is going to be kind of an apparition that we summon, it would be interesting that if any of his pools go to zero, he disappears, and we have to resummon him by paying something. Right. Would be that's, an interesting. I, right. That's like kind of what I keep thinking. I'm like, there's got to be a price in dangerous situations. If he's an actual character, like hitting him with gym intrusions has to be able to be a thing as well. So there needs to be weight. You that. could you could give him summoning sickness too, where like, if we summon him in combat, he has to wait around sure. to act, and as then well, he can act things like that. Where it's like, that makes us have to think about more if we have a choice. Like, oh, hey, let's summon the captain so that when we go into battle, he's there. Mm. That kind of thing. If Jerry's hanging around, probably just so he he'll be included, we'll probably do that anyways. But that's I think that's a cool restriction. Is like the first round you summon a creature. Can't do anything. Yeah. You're fucked. You're fucked for this round. Yeah. Uh, and the other thing I was going to say, kind of what you were just no. talking about no. with Pathfinder, mm-hmm. with the uh, difficulties, right? The mm-hmm. I've been experimenting with the challenges that I put at you guys where technically what I'll do is their attack, like to hit you, will be usually... Mm-hmm what their tier is, like what level they are. But then if you're swinging at them, it's one below that. So Mm -hmm. hitting them is a touch easier, but when they swing at you, that's what makes them dangerous is their attacks. Their lethality. Right. And then I also have been just uh, stacking the damage to absurdity uh, just so the players know that getting hit is a problem by big enemies. You know, 12 Mm -hmm. damage, 15 damage. Where, like, that scares anyone. They're like, oh, fuck. Yeah, for sure. I uh, I knew it was a tough fight because I went from a pool of 47 intellect down to 10. By oh, the by the end. And we're not done all the way. We are close, though. Yeah. Uh, I'm surprised the other ones didn't run away when we killed, when we killed the main. Well, see, that's, well, they're all inspired to take over. You know, oh, I got, I got it. Right. But I'm surprised that, that they're going to keep fighting. You would think they would run and then like regroup, fight it out. Like, OK, Billy's the alpha. Right. Now we now we attack again. But that's uh, that's not what they did. No, but that I uh, all of them. I, I think you should. I'm excited yeah. to. Yeah. What are we uh, what are we going to what are we going to chat a bit about today? I thought it'd be fun to chat for some of the artifacts that are going away from tabletop games. Uh, not so much Dungeons and Dragons, at least not yet. Um, I think they they already have too many controversies to worry about this kind of stuff. But um, alignment and uh, like ability scores and spell schools and some things like that are going away from PF2. But you're also some of these other games coming out, like uh, the MCDM game. I don't even think they're going to have attack rolls, much less. They're probably not going to have alignments or they're not going to have some of these things. I don't think uh, Daggerheart is going to have any of that. So I thought it'd be fun to just talk about, because especially alignment in the tabletop community, it's so controversial. Mm. And I don't really, it seems like people don't really know what it was for in the first instance. They more think about it like a personality test. Mm. And we've talked about it a little bit before. I just thought it'd be fun to kind of 
look at some of where it was, what it was inspired by, and uh, like what it was really intended for originally, and then what it became. Sure. Be, uh, give it a nice little uh, send off, and some of what what is being replaced. Because I I personally like having just a little not like a hard box but like here's kind of some of the aspects of your character's personality i mean that was what t-biffs are for in 5e yeah like your personality like what is what's some dislikes and likes and and things like that you know and so just be fun to talk about it yeah that's, I, that's what i thought tell me a little bit about it because i'm kind of I know vaguely about those those things from PF2E, so I'd like to hear a little bit about it from you, and then we can mm-hmm. have a little t- chat about it. Well, let's start with the big one, yeah. the elephant in the room, which is alignment. And most people are, even if you're not familiar with D&D, you're familiar with alignment because there were all these memes kind of in the late teens, like 2015 to 2019, where it would show, like different characters and they put them in the alignment boxes yeah so alignment is a nine by nine is that right yep it's basically a box of nine yeah three by three uh and you have these two axes which is law and chaos and then good and evil so you can think of law and chaos as kind of like your horizontal plane and or horizontal axis and then good and evil is usually your vertical axis. You can flip those, but that's usually you you have like an x and depending upon where you are in that uh, will determine your alignment. There's also neutral, but neutral is kind of like the odd one out. So like you'll have lawful good versus chaotic evil. They would those would be like diametrically opposed. And uh, these alignments actually affect certain mechanics, and it's going to be really interesting to see how Pathfinder deals with this in a magical, mechanical sense. So, like, what do you do instead of detect evil now? Right? I think they're going to do detect unholy. I think they're replacing evil and good in a mechanical sense with holy and unholy. So, like, if it's an angel, they'll have the holy attribute tag. And if they're a demon, they'll have the unholy. I wish they would have, instead of just doing, like, holy with a, a prefix, it would have been awesome to have, like, defiled mm. or something flavorful. Like, this thing is, like, bad news, yeah. you know? Um, they probably didn't like the implications. <laughs> so that's really what it is. So let's go through them. So you have uh, lawful good, um, neutral good, neutral good, and chaotic good. And then you have lawful neutral true neutral and chaotic neutral and then lawful evil neutral evil neutral evil and chaotic evil so those are the nine alignments that you get and there were many many flame wars uh, as a result online and even before that just arguments about it since its inception so the, a little bit of the history is that this actually I'm looking at Wikipedia this is stuff I've read before um, this is going to be very broad strokes. We're not, we're not getting deep into the weeds here. If you want to know more about the very, very nitty gritty of this stuff, uh, I highly recommend the series Designers and Dragons, which goes through the whole history of the tabletop industry, like front to back. Mm. Talks about all the different companies that have come and gone, and it's really good. I've talked about it a little bit before. Amazing series. There's five books. They're all the way up to the 2010s now. 
which that's the only one I audio. I've listened to him on audiobook, but that's the only one I haven't listened to. Uh, by Shannon Applecline, who I believe she's a big contributor on uh, one of the online forums, where she wrote them as like forum posts first, oh, okay. and then turned them into books. Oh. So very seminal work in terms of the history of tabletop games in the industry at large. But uh, as the story goes, alignment actually just used to be law and chaos. And it comes from the works of Michael Moorcock and Poole Anderson. So Moorcock wrote the Elric books as well as the Eternal Champion books. So there's like the idea. I've read some of the Elric stuff. I haven't read anything else. But the idea is there's this one champion soul who keeps reincarnating as these different heroes, which is kind of like a D&D player if you think about it. Like there's this one player. Oh, yeah. And they reincarnate as these different heroes. And they end up meeting, like, there's all this weird time dilation. Very sword and sorcery. But there are the forces of law, which basically back in the day meant civilization and, like, order and things like that. And then chaos, which was, like, it used to be, like, just pure evil. And it's interesting because Elric specifically has, that's where he gets his power from, is the, the lords of chaos. Lord so, like, his sword is this evil sword that when he uses it, when he brings it out, it eats people's souls and shit. Like, it's it's interesting. There's always this tension because he's, like, he's basically, like, a lawful good character that has to do really evil things. Really, I haven't read it all, so that could change. Uh, and then Poole Anderson, uh, it might be Paul, but it's P-O-U-L, so it looks like Poole. Mm. Uh, Poole Anderson wrote a book, very, very famous. It's in Appendix N, which is the appendix in the original dmg that has like the reading list of inspirations like here's the stuff oh. if you want to know like w here's what the dm should read uh called three hearts and three lions or three hearts three lions i don't know if the ends in there and it also has this idea of law and chaos and one thing i read too was um the amber chronicles which i love those are amazing, by Roger Zelazny, also has these concepts of law and chaos. So it was kind of the zeitgeist of the time, which is, you know, late 60s, early 70s. But the Amber Chronicles came a little later, so it, they, they're not really attributed to influencing D&D, &D per se. Sure. Um, so the original version of D&D, &D, uh, oh, there was actually three alignments, excuse me. So they uh, you could choose among three alignments when creating a character uh, lawful, implying honor and respect for society's rules, chaotic, implying rebelliousness and individualism, and neutral, seeking a balance between the extremes, which neutral kind of reminds me of the the unofficial gray Jedi. Sure. How they kind of seek a balance between the light and the dark side. I got that tattoo. Yeah, you do. And then uh, uh, the basic set, which I believe is Beckme. In uh, 1977, that actually basic might be before Beckme, um, introduced that second axis, which was good and evil. Mm. And this is interesting because, it, and it's very weird from a modern perspective because good implies altruism and respect for life versus evil, which implies selfishness and no respect for life. So most characters that players play are always super selfish. They might have an interest for the party and they might offer lip service to like saving the, saving the day, but their interest is always in their own progression. So I was watching the uh, Zero Session for the new Glass Cannon 
campaign. And I like how Troy's like, all all players and characters are chaotic neutral. It's like, yeah, I actually agree with that. Mm. If we're going by the alignments. So it kind of came out of this and it really developed into like more of a pigeonhole than like something to help you role play. And the thing is back in the day, like OG D&D, the lawful, neutral, and chaotic were more like religions. Like there was a lawful language and any other lawful creature, you could speak that language with them. Kind of like thieves can't, right? You had your own specialized group language. So it was more like a religious outlook um, than like your personal moral compass, which I think is what it turned into later. I think it can be interesting, but people bring up a good point that is once you usually pick your alignment, you never think about it again and you usually don't ever take it into consideration. You just kind of, you find out who your character is and you act that way, which is why I really like the idea if you were going to have some kind of alignment system, the character doesn't get to pick that. That label is put on them by society as they play, yeah. which we kind of have flirted with a little bit with uh, the Gatewalkers campaign, but I think we're just going to get rid of it hmm. and not worry about it. There's too much other stuff to worry about, but I would really like to do that uh, at some point. There's another thing from Pathfinder First Edition, which is they actually have astrological signs. Oh, I think it'd be really fun to have, like, you were born under this constellation, this sign. So it might suggest that you have these personality traits. Sure. Making it neutral in terms of you're not good or evil, but maybe you're more selfish because you were born under the sign of the thief or, you know, the sign of the blade. Mm. And so, and people might, if they find out that, you know, make it tropical so it's based on your birthday so you can kind of incorporate some of the calendar of whatever world you're into. Um, it might be how others view you as well. Sure. That kind of thing. I like that. So I think something like that would be fun. I think it would be fun, too. That sounds yeah. fun. I, yeah. To touch on what you're saying, I like the idea way more of, like, even hearkening back to, like, let's say we still, we're still going to be existing in a world where we use alignments in mm-hmm. the game. Just like you're saying, you pick it, and then you kind of forget about it, right? And I, yep. I think that even that... Uh, adding to the idea of you think you're a certain way, but in reality, this is how the world sees you. Right. So like having that influence from, you know, the, the world might view you as kind of an asshole. Right. Um, and so they react to you like that, especially if you have like, you're like getting renown out in the world and your character says that they're like lawful good, but they, fucking murder people and kill people and all that. Right, right, right. And maybe they murder people, kill people, and take their stuff. Right. Which and a lot of characters do. And if you do that in the middle of town, maybe the townsfolk don't... They don't like that. ...view that so favorably. Right. Maybe. Or maybe you kill... You know, you're always killing bullies and criminals, right? That's still, like, the people you come into town... The people may, like, look to you, but then the whole underside is going to be like, this person's fucked. We need to kill them. Right. So I think that there's a... I really like the idea of the... Even if alignment goes away, maintaining the idea that your your actions have consequences on society if they know about them. Right. 
Well, I mean, I love the idea of law and chaos, but it'd be cool to call it like order and chaos. Mm. Like take the word law away because it's so loaded. Yeah. Now. But the idea that you need, you know, if you if your character loves civilization at all, you need some order so that you can have streets. Maybe it's on a grid system or you have you can build things and make things. But in our, you know, if we made a campaign setting of our actual real world today, you could say that there's too much order in terms of like civilization is kind of, you know, choking out nature now mm. where nature is kind of the chaos side and that implies a lot of things in terms of if you're a druid what's your political outlook like most people that's in the class but they never really take that into consideration like would you even step foot in a city mm. like what is the culture what do you agree with and the in the monday campaign the guy you just took down was like a good example of that where he's like no civilization right like, all of this has to go you know and so i think those are really cool ideas if you have the right right group to to play around with is like the maybe these forces are forces out in the world and to borrow from like dishonored if you do chaotic acts you put more chaos into the world yeah you blow up a building and the the force of chaos manifests more in the world or if you build a city the force of order manifests more you know like yeah. so you could have this kind of tension where your choices actually affect the world in a mechanical way yeah that's cool i think it'd be really fun so i think there's definitely something there but yeah the alignment says like personality tests i think is kind of passe and kind of useless right you know so even just like we're saying even getting rid of it you need to have that reaction of society to the players. I mean, you don't have to, but I think that that kind of thing pulls your players in. It feels like the world is reacting to them. Right. It's not just, I think the word static where you, Oh, we went and did all this and we come back and no one reacts right, dynamic. to dynamic. Yeah. You know, I like yeah. that. I think that that's the cooler part yeah. of the potential of getting rid of, alignments and not letting that part be in the player's hands totally and very few players like build their character in toto and then play that character just like they built them mm -hmm. they usually build it and they kind of have an idea of what this character is and then they play it on the table and it's like oh this is who this character is yeah so maybe it'd be interesting if you were going to have alignments like you get your alignment at level two because you've now kind of discovered like I think I'm this alignment. And everyone's like, no, you, you're not lawful good. You fucking, every room we are in, and like we go into, into a dungeon, you just fucking run through the door and set off all the traps. You're fucking chaotic neutral. Right. You know, or something. And, and maybe give people a, a mechanical benefit for picking an alignment. Sure. So it matters. So they think about it more and they don't just, uh, it's not just a thing on their character sheet. Yeah. I think that's the problem too. Is is it doesn't really benefit you in any way. Yeah, I think there are some cool potential mechanics hidden in there, mm. and also cool ways to like frame alignment so it's not just this old archaic thing. But I, on the whole, I'm glad that they're getting rid of it. Sure, sure. is my is my opinion. And edicts and anathema has I think a lot of potential in PF two for kind of filling that role. Yeah, the anathema is crazy 
mm-hmm. to me because if your GM is aware of what yours is and you're not, you may do something that will just fuck you all of a sudden. Well, it's with with the anathema and edicts for your character, like if you're not a cleric or anything, it doesn't actually have oh, any okay. mechanical sure. implications. Although your DM can your GM could say that it does. I like that shit. Yeah, yeah, you could you could impose that, but that's not going to be. It's just going to be for flavor, kind of like T Biff's mm. in uh, uh, that other game, that dragon game, the dragon that no, game that nobody nobody plays. Uh-uh. Nobody plays that goddamn piece of shit. No, I'm just kidding. Calm down, calm down. So that's uh, yeah. You got any other any more to say on alignments? Not on alignments, no. Alignments. Um, the real question here is: Should we cliffhang this and talk about ability scores next week? I mean, do we have anything else to talk about besides that? Well, we didn't need more than this just now. I mean, that's true. I mean, it's fine. I think like talking about possibly ability scores, getting rid of them, having them. What's been the benefit versus what's interesting about taking them away? Yeah. Uh, Spoiler, I don't think there's any benefit to having them. <laughs> well, tune in next uh, although week. Although it, like, it sounds very, it sounds cooler to say, oh, my paladin has a strength of 20. Sure. That sounds really cool. But in terms of teaching the game, playing the game, making it understandable and easy to learn and play, no benefit. Spoiler. Spoiler. Yeah, that's why I said spoiler. You close it out, or no. unless you have words that you'd like to continue. No, I'm good. I'm good. But you have to close it out. You're the one cliffhanging. I I put this on you. Why you do you bear this mantle? You fuck. Oh, fine. Fine. So, sweat is a Pee. bodily fluid. Peepee is also a bodily fluid. Yeah. What's the difference? Stay sweaty. The salt content. Like, subscribe.